1: From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. A happy Easter to you all. Although holidays aren't always good for you, remember what happened the last time the market went on holiday. The return from the Christmas break brought the start of market turmoil. Will a similar hiatus lead to another headache in the market? I'm Roger Blitz and welcome to Hard Currency, the weekly podcast of the Financial Times on the FX market. There's no doubt that March has seen a quieter, even calmer market, so much so that the conspiracy theorists in the FX world have us believe it has been engineered by central banks in the form of a currency war's truce. How much do we believe this stuff? And in any case, how much more calm and sensible can we expect the market to be in the months ahead? With me to discuss these issues is Adam Cole, the G10 FX strategist at RBC Capital Markets. Adam, welcome. Are you feeling nervous or uneasy about this market calm? I think for the
0: immediate future, uh, over the next days or a couple of weeks, I don't see an enormous amount of event risk out there. But looking out over the second quarter as a whole, I think there's plenty to be nervous about. Name them. Uh, June, of course, brings the UK referendum. Yes, and all the risks—not just for the UK, but for the rest of Europe and indeed for global markets—if mm-hmm. the—if global risk premium blow out as a result of that. We also have the next, what we think is live Fed meeting, that being the, the June meeting, and the difficult path the Fed has to steer between. Delivering the gradual tightening policy that it wants to deliver, and not upsetting global markets and emerging markets in particular, where at the moment things look nicely balanced, they may look less so as we get further into the second quarter. So I think there are there are several events out there to worry about for uh, as we get towards the summer, but maybe a little bit less so for the next couple of weeks. Okay.
1: We'll come on to Brexit later. The market is looking at the Fed, and seeing a interpreting it as a dovish meeting. Then we've seen some lots of lots of members giving a bit of a hawkish hue and the dollar is now rising. There's a certain amount of market confusion out there. Is there confusion within the Fed about the the path ahead?
0: I think if there is confusion, then it stems not from what the Fed said itself at the meeting, but rather the way the market reacted to it. And that the market treated it as a paradigm shift on the part of the Fed in terms of the outlook for interest rates. And I think Uh, Much of the market volatility it generated was a result of positioning. that investors went into the Fed meeting with a very strong expectation the Fed would signal an imminent rate hike or a rate hike in June. And those positions unwinding is why the reaction was so violent. Actually, if you stand back and look rationally at what the Fed said, it wasn't that big a departure from what it's been saying recently. And I think maybe that's partly why you, you see all the Fed speak subsequently pointing towards the debate still being open on raising interest rates going forward. So for me, the, the conspiracy theories used to, to rationalise the market move after the Fed, if you take account of the way the market was positioned going into it, then you don't really need conspiracy theories to rationalise how markets moved. No,
1: so the Fed is not confused as the market,
0: yes, and not confused but badly positioned, and not not just confused, but very badly positioned going into that meeting also
1: yes conspiracy this conspiracy theory about this currency war's truce is partly built around that view that the Fed deliberately talked down the dollar with a dovish view. I hear what you say adam there's also the other Elements of the central bank world which were meant to be contributing to this theory. The ECB was meant to be pushing up the euro. The People's Bank of China was meant to be keeping things stable. The Bank of Japan was meant to have made a pass on the idea of, of taking interest rates any further negative. You clearly don't buy into the currency wars truce theory, do you?
0: I think it's a question of degree. And I think in many cases you can rationalize what central banks are doing in terms of their domestic policy objectives, and the policy settings are done primarily for domestic reasons. Now, that's not to say. Say that anybody wants to see their currency strengthening at the moment, and certainly not to say that the ECB uh, in particular wouldn't be happy to see the euro go down. Clearly, it would help the stance of policy. Mm. But I don't think it's true to say that they are primarily easing policy um, with a view to weakening the currency. I-, I think they are still looking to open up domestic credit channels and to boost bank lending and boost domestic demand through easier domestic monetary policy. I think euro weakness is a welcome side effect, mm. rather than the principal reason they're doing what they're doing. So what do we expect from the Bank of Japan? So from the Bank of Japan going forward, I mean, my, my reading of the signals subsequent to the move to negative rates is that the, the policy debate is opening up a little bit from here. And after the January meeting, when they, they took this small step towards negative rates... It seemed at the time that the negative interest rates had become the principal policy focus. It was the main policy tool that they were using. Subsequent to that, I think if you read the minutes from the meetings, if you read the statements the BOJ has made, the policy debate now is much more about all the policy instruments they have available. And I think the BOJ is reacting to the reaction of the market. With an aim to get the yen... Uh, lower i think they'd very much like it to stop appreciating um, that, i I don't think it's it, it's necessarily injective of getting it a lot lower from here it 's clearly still undervalued, but I think there'll be great sensitivity if it carries on appreciating from here so you don 't believe in the currency wars truce. do you believe in currency wars i I think again, it 's a question of degree that clearly in an environment which is heavily disinflationary globally, nobody wants currency appreciation. And many central banks are happy to see their currencies going down in a sort of benign neglect sense, but I don't buy the idea that policy is being set principally to weaken currencies rather than set for domestic reasons. I think that's probably carrying
1: the argument so it's too far. A happy side effect. It's not so much currency wars as a currency exhibition match, really. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's yes. what you'd like to see. So. To what extent do you think we have a greater currency stabilisation at the moment? Does it feel a little less tumultuous? It certainly is if you look at what markets are telling us in
0: terms of implied volatility. It feels like a slightly uneasy equilibrium right at the moment with a lot of binary event risk out there that could easily upset that. But for the moment, things have calmed. I, the, the, what I think we worry about most is the balance the Fed has to strike if it, it clearly wants to gently raise interest rates from here. Mm. But at the same time, it's clearly sensitive to the impact on global markets. Mm. And whether we can balance things as successfully as we are doing at the moment,
1: I think that's a balance that's easily upset. Yes, I don't want to labour this currency wars issue, but what you've just said suggests that it's all pivoted on the Fed. Everybody responds to what the Fed does. In a, in a sense, every country's currency moves depending on how the Fed moves. So it's not an easy circumstance for, for other central banks to operate in, but perhaps that's what's always been the case. It's, I think it's particularly true at
0: the moment as the Fed is the source of most of the policy divergence that investors have been looking for. Mm. In that If you look at the BOJ policy, for instance, we are, in terms of aggregate interest rates, we're talking about a few basis points negative and rates creeping slightly more negative very slowly over a very long, very long period relative to the 25 basis point lurches up that potentially comes from the Fed. So if you think about the, the differentials that are that are at the root of this policy divergence, it really is in the hands of the Fed largely.
1: Yes. And of course, we have the feedback of, as you say, low inflation, low growth around the world, impacting on the Fed's thinking. And one of the factors that might be impacting on the Fed's thinking is Brexit, which uh, the Fed has its meeting on June the 14th, 15th. And then we have Brexit on the 23rd. Are you an adherent to the idea that tumult in the market because of Brexit might influence that Fed June decision?
0: I think that's very much the case, yes. And it may well influence particularly the timing
1: of the move. If we are
0: at that point days ahead of the referendum itself, if the result still looks as closely in the balance as it does today, I I think it's it's very much uh, likely to be on the Fed's agenda. Simply because it's not just a UK event or a European event, but has the potential to sharply widen global risk premium in all assets,
1: including US assets. And for that reason, it has to be on the
0: Fed's agenda. Yes.
1: Uh, We marked the three months countdown this week and the implied volatility measure told us how much the market worries about this. This is going to be what it's going to be like over the next few months. It's, It's a negative feeling campaign. The UK economy, as we've just seen from the budget, is not in great shape. There's clearly internal issues within the ruling Conservative Party. It's going to be hard, actually, for the market to feel jolly about uh, buying sterling at any point in the next few months.
0: I think, unless there's a real shift in expectations for what the outcome of the referendum will be, and if that were to be a shift towards voting to stay, then I think that would be sterling positive. As it is, there's no real trend in expectations. Mm. What we've seen, I think, and what in the rising volatility is telling you, is the crystallization of this risk into an event which has become relatively short term. Mm. What we haven't seen yet is any real movement in the prospect of the UK voting to stay or leave. If you look at the broad balance of opinion polls, that are pretty much 50 50. If you look at what the bookies are quoting, it's sort of low 30s, mid 30s percent, hasn't really moved very much. So what we've not seen tested yet really is a big shift in expectations of what the outcome of the referendum will be. And if that is a shift towards an expectation that the UK leaves, then that's potentially very damaging for Sterling.
1: What has shifted is opinion about sterling post the referendum if the, the vote is to stay in the received wisdom had been that there would be quite a rebound in sterling that's shifted a bit now hasn't it
0: i think it it has a little but i still think you have to say if we think our best guess of being priced sort of 60 40 to stay then that 40 percent premium of leaving must be embedded in risk premium in uk assets including the currency yes. so i think Either before the referendum, if that shifts, or after the referendum, if we do vote to stay, you have to think that risk premium unwinds and Sterling would get something of a rebound. But not as as significant as we were thinking. Maybe not if the the broader background for Sterling has deteriorated in the sense that the fiscal position is slightly less healthy than we thought. The counterpart to that is probably a bigger and more sustained current account deficit than we previously thought. So far, that's not been an issue, but the bigger the deficit gets and the longer it lasts, the greater the risk that investors decline, for overseas investors decline to fund it.
1: OK, Adam, so just finally, Brexit comes right at the end of the second quarter. So we're about to enter this second quarter. And wouldn't it be nice to be roughly in this position at the end of the second quarter as we are at the end of the first? In other words, as you were position, steady as she goes, you know, nothing to see here. Yes, I mean, I think if we if we are a week after
0: the UK referendum, looking at global equity vol being still at its lowest level since the risk-off shock in the August of last year, yes. central bankers would probably think that was a job quite well done. And the likelihood of that happening, I think it's a binary risk. So I think <laughs> I would go with my earlier comment of a sixty forty probability that the UK votes to stay a sixty forty risk of markets being calm versus being quite violently volatile if they have to digest
1: UK departure. Thank you, Adam. That was Adam Cole, RBC Capital Markets. We are back next week. Keep tabs with all the forex news and analysis on ft.com forward slash markets. Enjoy Easter. Don't worry too much about what to expect when you get back. Just join us again next week for Hard Currency. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT's Banking Weekly. It's presented by me, Patrick Jenkins, the financial editor at the FT, and I'm joined by a team and an external guest every week.